in the in the Gospel of Mark, and uh, we'll be proceeding through uh, today, continuing in, in Mark chapter six and Mark chapter six. Uh, so let's just uh, take a minute to to, to think about uh, where we've been so far in the gospel. We've seen uh, a, a ton of miracles uh, so far, right? Jesus has done uh, many things uh, that only God can do, uh, and yet the disciples are still a little bit dull. And so uh, Jesus is trying to work his way uh, into his, his apostles' hearts and minds uh, and show uh, them uh, who he really is. So uh, thinking along those lines, thinking about what is possible for God, uh, but not possible for us. Uh, these things fall into two different categories. Uh, there are things that humanity can do, and there are things that humanity can't even think about doing. So uh, among the things that, that humanity can do, uh, which are pretty amazing, I think, is that uh, NASA launched this spacecraft, the Pioneer 10, uh, on March 2nd, 1972. Uh, and its mission was to take close-up photographs of the planet Jupiter, uh, which it did, sending them back uh, in 1973. These were the best photographs we had had uh, up until this point. Uh, so that's one thing that the, the Pioneer did. But the Pioneer was also, it had a larger mission. And the idea was that we're going to send this thing way past Jupiter. We're going to send it out of the solar system. Uh, we're going to send it toward uh, this constellation called Taurus. Uh, and uh, we hope that, that uh, someday alien life might find us uh, or find the probe and, and find out uh, something about us. So uh, they put a six by nine gold plaque on the thing uh, with drawings of uh, a man and a woman on it. And I would have shown it on the screen except that the drawings are naked, and I thought that that would be inappropriate. Uh, so I didn't put it up there, but uh, drawings of a man and a woman, and uh, drawings of the location of Earth within the solar system, and the path that the pioneer took uh, to get to the constellation where it was headed. And in the year 34,600, if the Lord does not return first, uh, this, uh, this Pioneer 10 will pass closely by another star uh, called Ross 256, uh, 246, and they're hoping that maybe if there's alien life there, they'll find it and learn something about us. Now, uh, I personally don't think there's alien life out there, so I think this mission will fail, but that's the story for another sermon. Uh, my point today is that we humans are capable of astounding scientific achievements. Uh, to me, it's unimaginable that we can send a spacecraft uh, to a star that's 22,000 uh, years away, traveling 27,000 miles per hour. But for scientists, though, uh, this is really just a matter of working within the laws of math and physics. If you apply the laws of math and physics, these things can be done. So it's incredible, yes, but miraculous, no. Now, a miracle is something that works outside the laws of math and physics and natural laws. Uh, it defies those laws, like multiplying bread and fish, like walking on water. Uh, both of those defy natural laws. Now, a fundamental axiom of physics, as you probably will remember from your eighth or ninth grade uh, science classes, is, is that matter cannot be created or destroyed, right? Matter cannot be created or destroyed. We cannot create matter or destroy matter, but God can create matter. Uh, he can destroy matter if he wants to. So Jesus created bread. He created fish with his hands. And for us, it's impossible to walk on water. Why? Because we're too heavy. Our weight breaks the surface tension of the water, and we sink. Uh, but Jesus could walk on water because he can defy natural laws when he wants to. He created those laws, and he can break them any time that he wants. So uh, Jesus performs miracles, something outside of natural law, something that no scientist could ever do. And why does he perform miracles? 
Well, he does it to prove uh, to the crowd who he is, first of all. But I think more importantly, he does it to prove who he is to his disciples, who are kind of slow to catch on. He's trying to strengthen their faith. As we'll see today, the disciples didn't get it. Uh, Even though they had healed and they had cast out demons uh, in his name on this missionary journey that they were just returning from, uh, while he wasn't even present, they still failed to fully understand who Jesus was as the Messiah. So I've been saying as we've been going through uh, the the Gospel of Mark that uh, Mark continually contrasts uh, faith episodes with lack of faith episodes. And and what we saw uh, when we were in the book last time was that he contrasted the apostles' faith when they they went out in faith to do these missionary journeys with uh, Herod Antipas, who had no faith uh, and had John the Baptist killed. So last time, the disciples showed faith. But here, the contrast is between the disciples who don't have faith and the outsiders that we'll see toward the end of the passage who do show faith. So the apostles, they get it wrong twice uh, in this passage, while the outsiders, uh, they get it right. But I don't want to be too hard uh, on the apostles Uh, because we really don't have a right to be too hard on the apostles, because we can be as dull as they are sometimes, right? Uh, And that's the truth that that we all need to recognize. You know, Jesus has saved us, and he's rescued us uh, from uh, God's wrath, and from the the power of sin, and from disaster over and over again. And yet sometimes we still question uh, who God is, uh, his character, uh, whether Jesus cares, whether Jesus will provide for us, or protect us. And so uh, this passage reassures me uh, that Jesus can protect us, and he can provide for us, and he will provide and protect uh, those who have faith. So uh, let's start with his provision, uh, and we'll read all the way through uh, the story of uh, the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, and then we'll talk about it, uh, starting at verse 33. The people saw them going, and many recognized them and ran there together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd, and he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. And when it was already late, his disciples came to him and said, this place is secluded, and it is already late. Send them away so they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and spend 200 denarii on bread and give it to them to eat? And they said to him, um, I'm sorry, uh, but he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go look. Uh, And when they found out, they said, Five and two fish. And he ordered them all to recline by groups on the green grass. And they reclined in groups of hundreds and fifties. And he took the loaves and the two fish, and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food and broke the loaves, and he gave them to the disciples again and again to set before them. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied, and they picked up twelve baskets of the broken pieces of bread and of the fish, and there were five thousand men who ate the loaves. So uh, last week, remember, the the apostles were on this missionary journey that Jesus sent them on. They went out in uh, six groups of two in different directions, casting out demons, healing, performing miracles. Uh, And while they were doing these works, uh, Herod Antipas uh, murdered John the Baptist. The disciples came up and uh, collected the body, uh, buried it, and then they returned to Capernaum uh, from where uh, Jesus had sent them uh, to tell the stories of what they had done and what they had taught. Uh, and so when they got there, when Jesus was, was, was ministering with them, 
uh, he recognized that, that ministry has its highs and lows. It can be encouraging, and sometimes it can be discouraging. And the disciples, well, they experienced both uh, on this journey. They, they performed lots of good works, but they were also rejected and had to shake out the soles of their uh, shoes uh, against some of the people. And so Jesus invited them to come away, uh, rest for a little while, uh, and he took them away in the, uh, seclu- uh, uh, heading to a secluded place uh, in the boat. And there are two reasons to get away, right? One was, uh, now that John the Baptist had been murdered, uh, it was almost like uh, a new open season on Christians uh, was, was uh, possible. Uh, so John the Baptist's murder indicates that it's a dangerous thing to be a Christian, to follow Jesus. And so it, it was wise for them to get out of the city for a little while, uh, to go to someplace secluded. But the other reason why is, is that uh, you need rest w- when you're doing ministry. And all of you who, who do ministry know that it's tiring. And uh, so uh, Jesus knew that it was necessary to, to get some rest, to avoid burnout. And so uh, he takes these disciples on a boat who are hoping for some R&R and some time alone with Jesus. But unfortunately, uh, the Sea of Galilee is really just a big lake. Uh, for those of you who've seen it, you can look from one end of it uh, to the other. And so if you're standing on the shore, it's easy to track Jesus' boat. They could see where it was out on the lake. They could see where it was going. And it was easy for them to follow the boat from the shore. So many people ran from uh, Capernaum to where Jesus' boat landed, uh, which was in Bethsaida, according to Luke chapter 9, verse 10. I know you're having a hard time seeing that, but this is Capernaum, where the boat would have launched from, and this is Bethsaida, where Luke chapter 9, verse 10 uh, says that it landed. Uh, So the only rest these apostles really got was their time on the boat. That was it, because as soon as they got back to land, already uh, there were needy people uh, and their ministry resumed. Uh, So we see in verses 33 and 34 uh, how Jesus showed compassion to these people. Uh, Jesus showed them compassion. you know what it's like when you're tired after a long day of work, right? You just want to kick your shoes off, uh, sit on the lazy boy, and, and, and chill out, right? You, you don't want anybody bothering you, dumping their personal stuff on you. You just want to relax a little bit. Uh, but that's not what happened uh, to, these, to these disciples and to Jesus. But Jesus is not like us, praise God, right? Jesus wasn't angry or disappointed uh, when these people came uh, seeking things and, 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 and uh, following him, uh, chasing him, uh, chasing his boat as he, as he moves across the lake. Uh, Jesus knew their needs better than they did, uh, didn't he? He had compassion on them. Uh, the Greek word for compassion means a, a deep feeling of sympathy, uh, empathy, and the desire and the, and the ability to do something about it. Uh, and that's what Jesus was to these people. Now, Jesus was tired too, right? In his humanity, uh, he could be tired. Uh, they all were tired, but, but he saw these people uh, with compassion, uh, with sympathy, uh, as sheep without a shepherd, uh, the text says. Now, uh, it would be easy for us to, to kind of gloss over quickly this sheep without a shepherd metaphor because uh, the, the sheep metaphor is so common in the Bible, right? We see it uh, in specifically Psalm 23, probably the most famous place, and, and certainly John 10, another famous place where we see this metaphor uh, of, a shep- uh, of a sheep and a shepherd. But what is it uh, about sheep that, that makes them so helpless? Well, you know, if, if a shepherd doesn't lead sheep to grasp, they will not eat. They don't know how to feed themselves. And if he doesn't lead them to water, they won't drink. They're too dumb to know how to go find water and drink. And if you leave them out overnight and you don't bring them back into the sheepfold, they don't know that the wolf is coming and the wolf will get them. They're entirely defenseless and helpless. 
And, and that's a picture of us. That is how helpless, defenseless, how lost we are uh, without a shepherd. And that's how Jesus saw the people, and he had compassion on them. Now, they came because they had physical needs, right? They were hungry, uh, they were sick, they were diseased, they were disabled, uh, whatever it was. Uh, and, and they thought that Jesus could heal. Now, now, Jesus knew that they had physical needs. So it's interesting to me that, that when he came to the people, he taught them many things, right? They didn't come for teaching. They came for healing, uh, but he taught them many things. He didn't immediately cure or heal or do anything. Uh, and so he's the, the teacher first. Uh, Mark doesn't tell us what he taught them, but we know that Jesus's mission was to, to teach about the kingdom of God. And so you can imagine that Jesus was teaching them about the kingdom of God. So uh, why teach physical, needy people about spiritual things? Well, it's because that's what compassion is. Uh, compassion is knowing what someone's uh, real need is, uh, even better than they know it themselves, and then meeting that need. So these people may have been hungry or, or diseased or, or sick or disabled. Uh, they may have been all of those things, but what their real need was, uh, was Jesus Christ. And so many of them probably got healing, but Jesus met the greater need, uh, the need for him. And so uh, the problem with, with our uh, idea about social justice these days is, is that uh, we often think that social justice is just feeding the hungry or, or, or helping the homeless. Uh, those are things that, that are necessary, th things that must be done. But they must be paired with the teaching of the gospel because people will be hungry again in another two or three hours. Uh, and you can pay for a night in a hotel, but tomorrow they'll be homeless again. Uh, people need the gospel, and that's why Jesus taught them first. And then uh, he met their physical needs. Now, uh, what happens in our social movement today, our social gospel movement today, is that we, we take the God part out of it, uh, and we have the government who takes from us and, and gives to uh, people uh, and social causes. Uh, and that takes the God equation out of it, and it takes the individual Christian's responsibility to meet the needs of other people and uh, to, to preach the gospel to them. Uh, and so uh, the government usurps our function as Christians and uh, takes God out of the picture. And that's why social justice, from a government standpoint, is not biblical. So what people really need is the gospel. Uh, that's why Jesus taught them first, and then uh, he, then he, he uh, allowed uh, the, the, uh, the healings to begin. So he's trying to teach the gospel to people, uh, and by example, by extension, trying to teach the apostles how they should teach the gospel after he was gone. And apparently they taught for hours. Jesus stood there teaching for hours. Uh, and when it was late, we see that the disciples wanted to send the people away. And so here we see that the disciples lacked compassion. They lacked the faith that Jesus wanted them to have in verses 35 to 40. So Jesus welcomed this intrusion, but the disciples, they did not. Uh, you know, they'd only just returned from their missionary journey uh, just a few hours ago, and they experienced uh, Jesus's power working through them uh, firsthand. Uh, and so they got it right then, going out, doing ministry in faith without Jesus, you know, fearful, I'm sure, but they went out and did uh, what Jesus asked them to do. But here, they get it wrong. It seems to have never have crossed their minds uh, that people didn't need to leave Jesus in order to have their physical needs satisfied. 
so Jesus, I think, was testing his disciples to see if they had learned anything uh, about uh, his ability to provide on their journeys without him. Now, there is no record here of the people complaining, right? There's no record of anybody saying, we're tired, we're hungry. Uh, they seemed content to continue listening. But it was the disciples who interrupted Jesus and said, send these people away so they can buy something to eat. Now, were the disciples really concerned that these people didn't have anything to eat, or were they selfishly trying to get rid of these people so that they could get the rest and relaxation that Jesus promised? Well, we don't really know. Uh, it's, it, it's not told. Uh, but we only know that their solution was to send the people away. Uh, and that leads to an exchange between Jesus and the apostles uh, over the impossibility of feeding all these people. Jesus told them that they should give them something to eat. You give them something to eat, he said to them. Now remember, when Jesus sent them out on the missionary journeys, he had given them his power and his authority to do miracles, to heal, to cast out demons. Uh, so did Jesus take that power back from them when they came back to Capernaum? I don't think so. I think they still had that power, and Jesus was testing them to see uh, if they would rely on him or if they had enough faith uh, on their own to try to give them something to eat through his power. So I think Jesus was not, uh, uh, not uh, saying, you give them something to eat, uh, to point out the impossibility of it, but rather uh, to show them that they could do it uh, through faith if they, if they used the power that he had given them. And so they looked at this problem and only considered human solutions, and, and Jesus wanted them to consider miraculous solutions uh, that were available through his power. And maybe Jesus would have had them multiply the fish and the loaves, uh, but the disciples failed that test of faith. And they also failed the test of compassion. You know, they knew from human experience and doing a little bit of math uh, that it would take 200 denarii to feed this many people. Now, a denarii is one day's work, uh, one day's wages for the average uh, day laborer. Uh, so they did some calculations, and they saw how many people and how much money it would take to feed these people, and they figured it would take eight months' wages to feed this crowd. But even if they had the money, uh, it's clear that they thought it would be a waste to spend it feeding this crowd. Uh, they said, shall we spend 200 denarii on bread and, and give it to them to eat? Uh, they had a completely different attitude uh, toward the people uh, than Jesus did. Uh, Jesus loved them and had compassion on them while the disciples saw them as an interruption uh, and a nuisance. So Jesus tells them, uh, take an inventory. Uh, what do we have? Uh, they come back and they report, we have five loaves and two fish, which would be enough to feed one, uh, maybe two people. But, but in Jesus' hands, that was more than enough uh, to feed everybody. So Jesus tells the people, have the people sit down on the green grass, right? The shepherd motif uh, continuing. The, the shepherd leads his sheep to the place of feeding. Uh, Psalm 23, 2, the shepherd makes the sheep lie down in green pastures. Now, what do you think the disciples were thinking as, as Jesus was you know, telling them to separate them into groups of 50 and 100? I, I can just imagine them thinking, he's going to do it again. He's going to do another miracle. We didn't believe. Uh, we blew it again. I think that's what they were thinking. They'd already seen him cast out demons, heal a paralytic, heal a bleeding woman, raise Jairus's daughter. Uh, and now uh, he's going to feed these 5,000 people with two fish and five loaves. So I think they probably regretted uh, their attitude toward the people, uh, but they obeyed Jesus and organized the people. And then Jesus does the miracle. You know, 
I'm sure most of us have read this account many, many times, uh, but I don't want us to lose the awe of this miracle, right? This miracle is, is really something. In fact, it's recorded in all four Gospels. It's the only one, aside from Jesus' resurrection, that's recorded in all four of the Gospels. So Jesus takes the loaves, uh, and he looks up to God, and he blesses God, and thanks God for the provision that he's already given, uh, and then he does the miracle. Now, if I could go back in time, and I, could, I was given the choice, you can witness one miracle, what miracle would it be? This would be the miracle I would choose. I, 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 I can imagine God raising Lazarus from the dead, right? I mean, all God has to say is, arise, Lazarus, put his spirit back in Lazarus, Lazarus stands up, uh, like that's no big deal, right? But, but that's, that's, that's all that, that God has to do, is to do that. Uh, but this miracle requires... Right, the breaking of the laws of physics and math. Like, how can you create matter from matter? That 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 is something that that we cannot do. Somehow, uh, Jesus created more bread and more fish from the bread and fish that he already had. Now, Mark uh, didn't say how he did it. Didn't say what the disciples saw. I don't know how many of you are are following uh, the TV uh, series, The Chosen. Uh, but in a recent episode in The Chosen, they depicted this, the feeding of the 5,000. And I was really eager to see how they were going to do it because I've always been curious. How did Jesus do this? How would we depict this from a, you know, a Hollywood perspective? And so what they did was Jesus had the five loaves and the two fish in a basket. And they covered the basket with a, uh, a white cloth. And Jesus just continually reaches under the cloth and pulls out bread and pulls out fish. And I thought that was a, a really neat way to show it, especially since we have no idea how he did it. It certainly avoided the problem for them uh, for how we're going to depict this miracle since nobody knows uh, how he did it. Uh, but no matter how he did it, he defied the laws of physics and math. Uh, we cannot create matter or destroy it, but Jesus can. And so... Uh, I just think about this miracle, uh, and I wonder if we have lost our sense of awe of it because we've heard about it so many times. Or maybe uh, this miracle is just too much for us to believe. Like, that can't be done. It's impossible. Well, if that's hard for you to believe, I just want to remind you that Jesus created the entire universe with God in six days. He created the laws of math and physics, and so it's child's play for him uh, to create bread and fish out of bread and fish. And now the disciples who wanted rest and relaxation, uh, they put on their white aprons, and now they're waiters, right? <laughs> they have to now feed these 5,000 people, bringing bread and fish uh, to all of these people. They become waiters. And I say 5,000, but Mark says 5,000. Matthew actually says it's 5,000 not including women and children. So this could be 15, 20,000 people maybe who were fed from these five loaves and two fish, and everyone there ate and was satisfied, and there were still 12 large baskets left over, one for each of those disciples to carry uh, after uh, the uh, miracle had been done. So provision, uh, abundance, more than we can ask or imagine. When there is no human way, uh, Jesus can still provide for us. Now, you'd think that would be enough for a day, right? The feeding of the 5,000, everybody must have been pretty tired, but Jesus was just getting started. Uh, so next we see Jesus walks on the water. And this is verses 45 to 52. And immediately, Jesus had his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he himself dismissed the crowd. And after saying goodbye to them, he left for the mountain to pray. 
And when it was evening, uh, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land, seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them. At about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea, and he intended to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and they cried out, for they were all terrified. And immediately he spoke to them and said, It is I. Take courage. Do not be afraid. And then he got into the boat with them, and the wind stopped, and they were utterly astonished, for they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, and their hearts were hardened. I think it's very interesting that, that Jesus performed these two miracles back to back like he did, because I think he was intentionally reminding them of God's provision and protection during the Exodus. Uh, remember, uh, they were in Egypt, and the, the big threat was Pharaoh on one side and the water on the other side. So God showed his power over nature, specifically water, by parting the Red Sea and having the uh, Israelites walk through on dry land. So that's protection. And then he provided bread, manna, for 40 years in the desert while they uh, wandered around uh, because of their sin. Uh, so that's provision, a protection provision, water and bread. Uh, in Mark 6, uh, Jesus does both of these miracles on the same day, uh, proving to them uh, that he is able to provide and to protect. Now, the text here says that he sent his disciples away uh, to go ahead of him to Bethsaida. But I just said in Luke chapter 9, verse 10, it says that they landed from Capernaum in Bethsaida. So we have a bit of a geographical problem here. And I think it's possible uh, that sending them to the other side uh, means that Bethsaida is a bigger city than perhaps uh, we think. Uh, the other side probably means the Jordan River, and that's what's running down here that flows right into the Sea of Galilee. Uh, this Bethsaida to the east of the Jordan River is called Bethsaida Julius. But uh, we know from the Gospel of John that Philip was from a place called Bethsaida in Galilee. So it's possible that, that there is another Bethsaida on the other side of the Jordan River, and that that's what's going on here. They left one Bethsaida for the other, but, but that question is, is really unresolved uh, at this point. Um, but uh, after they left, uh, Jesus went off to pray. We see that uh, beginning in verse 47. So what was he praying about? What was going on? We normally know that, that Jesus goes up to the mountain to pray when, when there's, there's some crisis, something impending. Uh, we don't know from Mark's gospel, but we know from John's gospel, John chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, uh, that the people uh, recognized Jesus as the prophet who was promised in Deuteronomy 18, 15, and they intended to seize him and make him king by force. And of course, Jesus didn't come to be a king the way David was king or Solomon was king. Uh, he came to conquer sin and death, uh, not to conquer armies uh, like they wanted him to. And so uh, the people misunderstood uh, Jesus's mission. Uh, and so his mission was to die for the sin of the world and reconcile us to God. So, so Jesus uh, Jesus avoided them. Uh, he escaped their intentions. And for his own time of refreshment with his father, he went up to pray. And now meanwhile, the disciples are rowing across the lake. They're trying just to go like I showed you from that one Bethsaida to the other, perhaps. It couldn't have been more than a mile or two. Uh, and Jesus sees them uh, straining at the oars, struggling against the crashing waves. 
Uh, Jesus was filled with compassion for them. He probably sent the waves so that he would create this crisis and the need uh, for him to intervene. So Jesus was uh, filled with compassion for them, just as he had been uh, for the 5,000 he just fed. And he went to them in the fourth watch of the night. You know, Mark frequently accounted time uh, the way Romans account time. Uh, and for Romans, the, there, were, there were four watches in the night, uh, four times when, when guards needed to be present overnight. Uh, the first one was 6 p.m. to 9 p.m., the second 9 p.m. to 12 p.m., the third 12 a.m., I'm sorry, the 9 p.m. to 12 a.m., the third 12 a.m. to 3 a.m., and then the fourth watch was from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. So we don't know exactly what time Jesus sent them out on the boat, but it's after three in the morning, and these guys are still straining at the oars, trying to get to where Jesus told them to go. And by now, the boat was in the middle of the sea, blown completely off course uh, by these strong winds. And so Jesus comes to them uh, on the water. Uh, the text says that uh, Jesus was about to pass them by, which is an interesting phrase. Uh, probably it doesn't mean pass them by uh, in the sense that he was going to walk past them and continue uh, on his journey. It probably means uh, he intended to pass before them, uh, to show himself to them, uh, and to, to have them invite him into the boat. But the disciples were terrified. Uh, they thought they were seeing a ghost. Remember, uh, Herod Antipas thought that Jesus must have been John the Baptist's ghost. And now the disciples think that Jesus is a ghost. So they have this, this whole supernatural thing going on, but not in the right way, right? They're not understanding uh, how Jesus is supernatural. They think he's a ghost. And why would they be surprised that Jesus could walk on the water anyway, right? After all they had seen him done, you know, walking on the water is just one more thing. Uh, but to be fair to them, these guys were fishermen, most of them. They spent all their lives on the sea. They'd never seen anybody walk on water before, so uh, I guess it freaked them out. But Jesus comes uh, with compassion. He comes gently, trying to get the disciples to invite him in. Uh, he says, take courage. Uh, it is I, uh, probably meaning to invoke the divine name. I am, from Exodus uh, 3.14. Uh, Jesus was equating himself with God, and he told them not to be afraid, and then he climbs into the boat, and another miracle happens. The wind dies down immediately, and they were utterly astonished. And then the kicker, verse 52, Mark says they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. That's harsh language, isn't it? Their hearts were hardened. Uh, when I think about a hard heart, I think about Pharaoh, right? He's the first one that comes to mind. It takes 10 miracles, including the death of the firstborn, the 10th miracle, firstborn of Egypt, before he'll let the people go. Uh, I think about the Pharisees, who were so full of pride that their hearts were too hard to receive a Jesus. But I don't think about the apostles when I think about hard hearts. But remember, Peter was Mark's source for much of the gospel material that Mark has in his gospel. And Peter is one of the 12, right? So here's Peter authorizing Mark, telling the story, and authorizing Mark to write it this way, uh, depict it how it really was. And I think that shows a lot about how humble uh, Peter was in his later years in life. Uh, so the waves die down, uh, and the boat lands, and now Jesus heals many, uh, verses 53 to 56. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Genesaret and moored at the shore. And when they got out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him and ran about that entire country and began carrying here and there on their pallets those who were sick to wherever they heard he was. 
And wherever he entered villages or cities or a countryside, they were laying the sick in the marketplaces and imploring him that they might just touch the fringe of his cloak, and all who touched it were being healed. All right, so I said a second ago that they were aiming for Bethsaida, uh, which is here. But they ended up all the way across on the plain of Gennesaret, which is all the way on the uh, west side of the lake. That's where they, that's where they landed. And immediately, uh, the people recognized him, uh, and they understood his power. And this is a consistent theme that we see throughout the Gospel of Mark, is that outsiders recognize who Jesus is. Demons recognize who Jesus is. But the disciples still don't recognize who Jesus is. And so the people recognize him. They, they start bringing uh, their sick, which reminds us of the beginning of the gospel, right? When the, when the friends of the paralytic bring the paralytic on a mat and dig through a roof uh, so that, Peter, uh, can he, uh, so that uh, Jesus can heal uh, him. And it reminds us of the woman with the hemorrhage uh, who only needed to touch Jesus' cloak in faith uh, and she would be healed. So it's the outsiders who recognize Jesus while the disciples are still trying to figure it out. And remember earlier in chapter 6 when, when Jesus could do no miracles in his hometown because they had unbelief. Back then we said that Jesus had the power to heal, but he didn't have the will to heal because they had no faith. And so we see that faith is an essential element of healing because it makes Jesus willing to heal. And here all the people who Jesus uh, encountered had the faith to be healed, and then Jesus had the will to heal them. And so we have to recognize who Jesus is and recognize that he has the power uh, to heal, uh, the power to, to rescue us in our times of trouble and have faith that he will. And so this is Jesus just showing by grace to his apostles over and over and over again. Uh, you can trust me. I am the Messiah I claim to be. Look at what I can do and I can do the same for you. And so that's why Jesus continued uh, to show, uh, show his apostles so that when he was gone, uh, they would be able to look back on these stories uh, and minister in faith because they could look back and believe all that he had done. So with that, let's close thinking about our own faith, uh, thinking about our own faith. Uh, because it's easy to rail on the, on the apostles' faith, but, but sometimes uh, I question my own faith. Uh, so let's talk about that. And, and for me, uh, letting my experiences uh, shape my faith uh, is something that, that I try very hard to do. Uh, rather than shake our heads at the apostles, uh, I think we should all focus on ourselves for a minute. You know, how is our faith when things seem impossible? When we get ourselves in a position where, where there is no human way out, how is our faith during those times? I'll just speak for myself. I've read these verses, like I've said, countless times. And I believe with all my heart that, that, that this happened, that, that these verses are true. And I've also experienced Jesus' provision and his protection in my life over and over again. You know, with all the foolish, reckless things I've done in my life, I, I should be dead many times. Uh, I should be bankrupt, without a doubt, and I should still be unsaved. Uh, but God, right? But God. God has a plan for our lives. He saved me from myself, uh, from others, from Satan, uh, over and over again. And I still doubt sometimes. I still doubt sometimes. I don't doubt his ability. I just, you know, sometimes I doubt, does he care enough? Is this a big enough problem, you know, for the CEO to get involved with? You know, that kind of care. Will he, will he do it? I know he's got the uh, ability, but does he want to? And so I, I, when I come to a crisis, I wonder, you know, 
He's delivered me before, but, but will he do it just one more time? Will he do it just one more time? Have I gained any insight from God's past performance in my life? Have I gained any insight into his character in watching him rescue me over and over again? Have I gained any insight uh, from the fact that, that he sent his son to die for my sins and rise from the dead so that I could be saved? And my faith sometimes fails just like the apostles. You may feel the same sometimes. We need to remember that past performance is the best indicator and predictor of future performance, right? God has proven over and over that he is trustworthy. Uh, and, and Jesus is still teaching me with great patience, right? Shaking his head at me, I'm sure, uh, from time to time, but, but lovingly, uh, just like he was doing with his disciples. Well, how about you? Uh, do you feel the same way sometimes? Do you doubt Jesus sometimes? Uh, do you doubt whether he cares? Well, he does care. He does care. That's why he went to the cross. He stretched out his arms on the cross and said, I love you this much. And this is how he shows his care for us. So uh, we let experience strengthen our faith. And then uh, because our faith is strengthened by experience, we come boldly uh, to Jesus in faith. You know, when you read the Gospels, there's never anybody who comes to Jesus in faith who leaves empty-handed, right? Who leaves without getting uh, what they came for. All who touched Jesus' cloak were healed. James says, you do not have because you do not ask. So we come boldly to Jesus. Let's trust that he's more than able and more than willing to help those who believe. He tells us to come boldly. Our God still works miracles. He can do greater than we can ask or imagine. You know, we, uh, humanity, we can imagine uh, putting a man on the moon, and we can imagine, you know, sending a pioneer spacecraft out into the depths uh, of the universe, uh, and math and physics make this possible, but God does the unimaginable. He does the impossible for those with faith. Uh, who could imagine a gospel where, where God sends his own son to die on a cross and rise from the dead to save us from our sins? And if we can trust him with that, we can trust him with anything, right? We can trust him with our daily lives. And if he can save us from our sins, well, making fish and bread out of fish and bread, that's child's play. Walking on the water, that's nothing, even when we don't understand how he does it. So uh, there's always, there's always, there is always a way with God. So have faith, uh, come boldly and trust God. There's nothing he can't do for you and nothing he won't do for you if you come to him in faith. Let's pray. Lord God, uh, we have, we have uh, witnessed amazing miracles today as we read your word and uh, think about, uh, Lord, just the things that, that you are able to do. It is astounding to us. And Lord, uh, we thank you that, that you love us enough uh, to work these miracles in our lives too. Uh, Lord, that, that you still... Uh, love us and that you still care for us and that you still uh, are sovereign over our lives and that you still want us to come boldly to you in faith and that you still are able to work miracles. Uh, Lord, we thank you for this and we know that it's all possible because Jesus, you are God uh, and we, we just thank you for that. Uh, we thank you for your death on the cross, that you rose from the dead for our sins and uh, for, that you died for this for our sins and rose from the dead so that we could be saved. And Lord, we just give you all thanks, praise, honor, and glory for all these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.